you will, open your Bibles to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to spend our time. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 and go ahead and read through verse 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Thank you this morning for your great and glorious plan of salvation. We praise you even as Paul began to praise you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you that you have given Christ for us. We praise you this morning that in love you predestined us to be adopted as sons. We praise you this morning that Christ has brought about our redemption, even the very forgiveness of our sins. We praise You, Father, that You have given to us the Spirit of Christ to be a deposit on our inheritance. We thank You that we have been sealed, that He is the guarantee of the good things to come. We thank You that because of His work in us and because of Christ's work for us and because of Your plan to save us, that we even taste and see that the goodness of our God in saving us today. Father, we ask that you would help us to do what we just heard in song, and that is behold and see your glory. We desire so much to know more of who you are and more of what you have done for us. We pray that you would help us this morning to marvel at your work of salvation. We pray that you would help us to worship, stir our hearts, that we might love you more, that we might rejoice in you, uh, that the, the work of salvation and the person of Christ and the gift of the Spirit and the calling of the Father would be more and more precious to us. And we pray, Father, uh, that such a sight this morning would uh, strip us away from love of self and love of the world. And Father, we ask that it would cause us to live for your glory. I do pray that you would help me to preach your word faithfully. I pray, Father, that you would help me to preach it humbly. I ask that you would help me to preach it carefully that I would preach for your glory and for the good of souls. We pray this 
this morning in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, it may just be nostalgia. It may be my own sentimental emotionalism. Or it may even just be my Texan spirit where I think everything is bigger and better in Texas. But in my opinion, there are no sunsets like there are in West Texas. I love to see from miles and miles. In fact, when people ask me about Texas, I tell them how beautiful Texas is, quite frankly, because there's no trees to block my view. I love to see the sunset in West Texas. I love the bright orange and the pinks, the soft purples, and we could go on and on, set against the blue sky, that bright orange sun shining. In my opinion, uh, the Lord has painted us a wonderful picture that declares His glory. Psalm 19 speaks of the creation, telling of the goodness of God, speaking of the glory of God. And when I see a West Texas sunset, I see the glory of God. It's wonderful to look at. It's wonderful to observe. For some of you, if you're like me at all, and you may not be, and you may be scratching your head, who is this guy? But it it makes you feel good. Uh, You enjoy it immensely. That's how I feel when I see the sunset. But it does more than that for me. And it does more than that for all the creation, really, because, again, the Scriptures tell us that all the creation is declaring the glory of God. It requires a response from us. Sure, we say, wow, that is beautiful. But it requires that we go further and say, wow, the Creator is wonderful. And in a parallel sense... What we have happening here in Ephesians chapter 1 does the same for us. We're not called to do anything in Ephesians chapter 1. There's no command incumbent upon us. But when we read these truths, when they're opened up to us, when we meditate on them, they cause us to say, wow, how glorious, how wonderful, how beautiful is the work of God on behalf of sinners. But there is a sense in which just reading it, hearing it, seeing it with the eye of faith does call us to do something. It calls us us to worship the living God. It causes us to worship the saving God. We see His mercy. We see His grace. We see His callings that are irrevocable. We see His Son dying for us. We see the forgiveness of our sins. We see the deposit of the Spirit in the individual Christian as the guarantee of our coming inheritance. And it should cause us to worship. It should stir us. It should move us to love God more. And so my desire this morning is to simply unfold this very large passage hopefully do it within the correct time frame, but to help us to meditate on the truths of God's redeeming mercies for wretched, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinners like you and me. God has snatched us from the fire if you are His in Christ. He has done the work of saving the sinner, and you can see that so wonderfully here in Ephesians chapter 1, and I hope that this morning it will cause us uh, to worship. And so may God help us as we open up this passage. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, Paul is a messenger sent by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus had come to earth, uh, born of the Virgin Mary. He had lived a perfectly righteous life. He had done it for His people. He died a sinner's death, though He Himself, without sin, He was buried in the grave, in the tomb, for three days and rose on that third day. Victorious over death, He was ascended on high. And King of kings and Lord of lords, the One who had taken the seat at the right hand of the Father and who had given His Spirit and who rules over all, is the One 
who interrupted the life of Paul, the sinner, Paul, the persecutor of the church, Paul, the one who was running his own course, zealous for God, yet without knowledge, seeking to destroy the church, Jesus said, you'll be mine. He interrupted his life completely. You will come and I will show you how much you will suffer for my name's sake. And on the road to Damascus, Paul's life was changed forever because the risen Lord Jesus Christ reached down and snatched him out of the fire and said, you will be my chosen instrument to carry the gospel into the nations, to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul said, I'm ready and willing. I'm your servant. And this messenger has given to us a large portion of the New Testament. Paul, an apostle, and note of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This was the plan of God. This was not the plan of Paul. This from eternity past was according to the will of God. He is writing to the saints, that is, to the holy ones, those who are set apart, who are in Ephesus, not those who are special in and of themselves, but those who God has said, I have set my love upon you. I have changed your heart. I have set you apart for my purposes. You will be my people. Those are the ones to whom he is writing. They are in Ephesus and they are faithful in Christ Jesus. They live their lives for the glory of Christ. He says to them, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace come from no one else. Grace and peace can be received from no one else than the very source of all grace and the very source of all peace. And Paul desires that the Ephesian believers would experience all the grace that God has to give. An infinite amount of grace He desires not that they would just know about it cognitively, but that they would live in the very sense of it, that they would experience it day in and day out, that they would know the unmerited favor of God towards them, and that they would also know the peace that God creates, peace between them and Himself as the one who reconciles sinners to Himself, and peace as well with others. He wants them to experience that tranquility of soul that only comes from on high. So many search for peace in various places, but peace only comes from God and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we'll see, it comes from God and it is mediated to us through Jesus Christ. If there is any gift from God, you receive it in Christ. You receive it through Christ. He is the one who secures the blessings of God for us. That's the introduction and rather quickly, but then to verse 3, Paul begins this wonderful passage of praise that down through verse 14 is all one sentence in the Greek. It's as if Paul can't contain himself. It's as if Paul begins to think of the saving work of God and he is over-thrilled with what God has done for him in Christ. There's a modern-day song, and I don't know the title, and I don't even know the singer, but I remember she says this line over and over again, I'm about to get my worship on. And Paul is about to get his worship on. Uh, There's a real sense in which when he begins to think about God and His saving mercies and His glory and greatness in what He has done through Christ and in His eternal plan, this triune God to save sinners, Paul cannot contain himself. He's thrilled with salvation. And so one thing we can ask ourselves this morning is, are we thrilled with salvation? Or is it just kind of a, "Mm, ah, meh, I guess it's good to, you know, know God and, well, I'm glad I'm not going to hell. Uh, That's not Paul's attitude when he comes to think of the work of the triune God for sinners like you and me. He is thrilled. His heart is moved. It's stirred. Whatever that looks like in your God-given capacities, you ought to be stirred when you think about what God has done. And we're going to learn here what God has done for us in Christ. Blessed be, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He designates the God as the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is important for us to understand. 
God sends His Son, who is the Lord, and who is Jesus, that's His name, and who is the Messiah, that is the Savior of His people. Blessed be, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, who has lavished upon us gifts, if you will, in Christ. I want you to note that phrase, in Christ. Uh, That speaks of union with Christ. That speaks of becoming one with Jesus. We are united to Jesus by faith so that everything that Jesus has, He gives to those who are His. Those who have believed upon Him for their salvation receive what He has. He has grace. His grace is then given to you. He has joy in the Father. His joy is now your joy. He has peace. His peace is your peace. He is the Son of the Father. His sonship is now your sonship. Everything that Jesus has is now the believers by virtue of union with Him through faith. And if you read the New Testament Scriptures, in particular the Pauline letters, you will see that Paul uses this little phrase over and over again, in Christ, through Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And that is to speak of our relationship with Jesus. If you want the blessings of God, they cannot come through any other than Jesus Christ. And He has blessed us, and note what Paul says here, in Christ with a few of the spiritual blessings. Is that what it says? A few of the spiritual blessings? No. Every spiritual blessing. I'm a simple Texas boy, so in order to try to define what every means, I really, I just, it means every. Every single one of them. There's not one lacking. If you can think of a spiritual blessing, it's yours in Christ. If God has designated a spiritual blessing in Scriptures, it is ours in Christ. How about justification? We are justified. We are declared righteous in Christ. How about adoption? We'll see that later on. It is a spiritual blessing. We are adopted into the family of God. We are orphans. We are aliens in this world, as it were. And we are brought into the family of God. Grace is a spiritual blessing. Every particular grace is ours. Peace with God is ours. The work of the Spirit is ours. The fruit of the Spirit is ours. And we can go on and on and on. Every spiritual blessing, not one is lacking. That's profound. Uh, that's, uh, that's amazing that we have received from God. Not will receive but have received. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. These are the blessings that the Spirit of Christ brings to us and applies to our life. That is why they are spiritual. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And so Paul is going to begin to delineate some of these spiritual blessings. It is a wonderful list, but it is not an exhaustive list, but we should pay close attention to it. We have been chosen, but note we have been chosen in Him. Who's that Him? In Jesus before the foundation of the world. You, Christian, were on the mind of God before He even began to form the world. In the beginning, God created. Before that happens, we're on the mind of God. It is God's eternal and wonderful and glorious plan to bring glory and praise to Himself to save you, the sinner. That's what Paul is saying. That's a spiritual blessing that we have received. We have been chosen in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And we read that and we begin to think that perhaps God chose us because we're holy and blameless or at least because we're more holy and blameless than the person sitting next to us or the people down the street. But that's not the case at all. If you remember Ephesians chapter 2 that was just read to us, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, We were children of wrath. Uh, We were given over to the desires, that is, the evil desires of our heart. We were dead, we were depraved, and we were doomed. That's who we were. Uh, That's what we are apart from Christ. And yet God before, 
the creation of the world chose dead, depraved, and doomed sinners to be His very own. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with anything about you. It has everything to do with the sovereign, free, glorious choosing of God. He chose you. That's a humbling reality. And He did it before the foundation of the world. And He did it for a purpose that that we should be holy, that we should be set apart for Him, that we would be His prize, that we would be His possession, that we would be His people, and that we would be blameless. Positionally, that is, in Jesus, we are without blame. But also practically, that in Jesus, He would begin to work on us and make us what we are not, to transform us. So that those who are naturally inclined towards unrighteous anger would learn to respond in kindness and patience instead. For those of us who are naturally selfish would learn to respond in selflessness. For those of us who naturally say, wait a minute, you hurt me, would say, why not rather be defrauded? He's going to change us to make us like His Son to make us blameless. So both positionally and practically. And again, before Him. This is all for Him. It's by Him, it's through Him, and it is for Him. Note as well, in love He predestined us. Don't miss that in love. Eternal, free, unconstrained love of the Father. Divine, immense love, pure and perfect, Trinitarian love that we cannot even comprehend. In love, He predestined. He marked us out. He chose us beforehand, is what this word conveys. For adoption, those who had no spiritual father, as it were, those who were abandoned, as it were, those who were lost, those who had no hope in this world, God in love marked us out before the foundation of the world in order that He might make us His sons. He might give us the status of part of my family. Think about that for a minute. Have you seen, perhaps on Facebook or YouTube, one of these videos of a little girl or boy, and it's their birthday, and they've received their presents, and then they get this last present from those that are taking care of them, and they open it up, and they they begin thinking about it. They see it. And of course, it's not a toy, because a toy is an immediate smile, an immediate excitement, and they're wondering what this is. It's a piece of paper. It's a certificate of adoption. And then the light goes on. And they see what is happening. And they begin to tear up with joy and excitement because they realize that those two people who they've grown to love, who are not their father and mother, have said, be a part of my family. Here's the status of sonship. I want you to have all that comes with being a part of this family. And so it's just a wonderful picture. I haven't adopted, perhaps some of you have, a wonderful picture of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. He says, you're not a part of my family. You don't resemble the family at all. In fact, there's nothing in you that makes you anything like me. But I want you to have all the rights of being my precious son. And he uses the language of sonship because in the first century, that language conveys once you're in, you have every right of blood children. It's the idea that's being conveyed. In love, he did this for sinners. What motivated him? It wasn't anything in you. It wasn't how precious you were or how good you would might be. It wasn't anything about you. This is God's choosing. 
This is all out of his infinite love. Just think about that for a minute. Is that humbling? Why does God love you? Because God is loving. It has absolutely nothing to do with you recommending yourself to him. We don't have anything to recommend ourselves to him. Uh, You know, we, we have never in this life once had a holy and perfect and pure thought. It's always mingled with our nature, our old sinful nature. And yet God's still in love. He was motivated to adopt us. He wanted us to be part of His family. Again, note that it is through Jesus Christ. If you're not in Jesus Christ, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know what it is to be in the family of God. All of these blessings come to us through Jesus. According to the purpose of His will. There it is again, in case you're wondering, well, maybe maybe I had something to... No, this was God's choosing. This was God's doing. This was what He determined. Just as He chose Paul to be an apostle, He has chosen His people to be His sons and daughters in Christ. But then note, there's a purpose. There's a glorious purpose. Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. Uh, This is all for His praise. This is all for His glory. This is all for His honor. To the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In your Bible, is the Beloved capitalized? Probably should be. It's speaking of Christ. Again, where has He blessed us? In Jesus. In Jesus. Every spiritual blessing comes to us by the Father, through the Son, applied to us by the Spirit. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood. In who? That is that Him, referring back to the Beloved, in Jesus We have redemption. We have been purchased. We have been bought back as it were. And we have been purchased with a very precious commodity, if you will. As 1 Peter tells us, we haven't been purchased with things that are perishable, but with the imperishable, perfect, pure blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have received redemption And then note it is through His blood that is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. He who lived a perfect life that is the Savior. Again, as I said earlier, He died a sinner's death. What does that mean? He died as if He were a sinner, but He was without sin. He is a spotless Lamb of God. There is not any sin in Him at all. There cannot be. This One willingly, lovingly, devotedly, faithfully gave over Himself. He has says in John that He has the right to take to lay His life down and He has the right to raise it up again. It is His right and He goes to the cross and He lays Himself down. He dies in order that you and I would not taste death. He dies for sinners. He dies for those who otherwise would always hate Him, would always rebel against Him. He dies for those who have lived their life as they want to rather than for their Creator. He dies for sinners. Again, we heard that description in Ephesians 2. Dead, depraved, and doomed. What do dead people do? Spiritually dead. They can do nothing. They can't want life. They can't work for life. Depraved people live life according to the evil desires of their heart. Doomed people are on their way to everlasting condemnation, the judgment that God justly gives to those who rebel against Him. These are the ones Jesus came and died for. These are the ones He shed His blood for. The very ones that God from eternity past had marked out to receive redemption. In Him we have redemption through His blood. And then note, spelled out for us in the most beautiful of terms. What does that redemption secure for us? Well, it secures many things, but right here Paul wants us to understand the forgiveness of our trespasses. 
dead in our trespasses and sins. But God in Jesus Christ has forgiven how many of the trespasses? Not a few of them. Not most of them. Every single one of them. Every moment of unrighteous anger, that is, every moment of unrighteous frustration with your spouse or your child or your coworker or that person that doesn't understand you, every moment of selfishness, every single instance of lust, and we could go on and on and on. Every half-truth, every time I, I live for myself rather than willingly laying myself down for the good of another, every time I want what I want at the expense of another, another. And again, those are the very sins that Jesus died for. Sometimes we like to think, well, Jesus died for the big sins, but I don't really commit the big sins. If you don't know this today, this may be slightly enlightening to you, but just so you know, every single person in this room is a sinner through and through. Every part of your God-given humanity has been affected by sin. You are a sinner. And a bad one at that. But Jesus says, I'll forgive each and every one of those sins. And I have forgiven them. If you are in Me. If you have come to Me in faith. That's what we're speaking of here. It's a glorious lavishing of forgiveness. It's a debt that we could never repay. Uh, we could never earn our salvation. We could never make up for the, for the countless times, as it were, that we have sinned. And yet God has forgiven each and every one of them in Christ. Again, note, according to the riches of His grace. Were we deserving? Not at all. Is He gracious? More than we could ever imagine. Again, that grace, unmerited favor. That means we didn't work for what God has given. We didn't labor for it. There's not something in you and me that has somehow recommended ourselves to God or secured His eye towards us. It is in accordance with His grace. In fact, the riches of His grace. Grace unspeakable. Grace that we cannot even imagine. You know that song? Our sins are many. His mercy is more applies to His grace as well. Our sins are many. His grace is more. How many times have you sinned against Him? He has yet been gracious and has more grace, infinite grace to extend. So you can sin, but there is grace. And that doesn't motivate us to sin. That motivates us to live according to His glory and for His glory. But there is grace enough in Jesus for the worst of sinners. And aren't we thankful there is? I'll give you just a little example of, of what I think should be going on in our hearts when we read these things. There was a, a younger man that I, I've heard of, uh, and he is... Uh, you guys are pretty serious circles too. Uh, no one's shouting amen here or raising their hands uh, when, I, when I'm preaching, but he is in pretty conservative circles. And he's in church. He was a drug addict most of his life. He had made an absolute mess and wreck of his life. Completely, really just destroyed himself. And the Lord just took him right out of that. A 180 degree transformation. Uh, he made him what he was not. And you can imagine such a one. Uh, you can imagine uh, that he had lived his life really as, as maybe he might describe it, experiencing hell on earth. And God says, I forgive you. You're my son. I've had my heart set on you before the foundation of the world. Come and live for me. And now this one who was once unclean has now been clean. This one who was once dead is now made alive. This one who once lived for himself now has a real purpose, living for the glory of God. And he's singing. Again, in these conservative circles, he's singing, it is well with my soul well with my soul. And he comes to that part, my sin. You know the song? My sin, not the what? Say it, someone interact. Not the, not the part, but what? 
the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. And you know what? Conservative circles, no one else is doing it. And he's singing at the top of his lungs, but he just starts, Amen! Not in rhythm with the song, but he gets it. My sin, not the part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. I don't answer for it. Satan might say, but what about this time? And what about this time? And the accuser, even in the presence of God, can say, but, but, but. And it, it, it says, Jesus has paid for it all. And so his heart is moved. Praise God. Because you can guarantee he's thinking of every time he put that needle in his arm. Or whatever else he was doing with it. My sin, not the part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. That's what Paul is doing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This salvation, this grace, has been lavished, verse 8, upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. This isn't something that is hard to figure out. It's just something that God did not reveal in full in the past. And now God has revealed in full in Jesus Christ. According to His purpose, which He set forth, and then note again that phrase, in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time. Uh, You remember in Galatians, uh, Paul speaks of in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that He might redeem those of us who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, God was going to set forth through Jesus Christ the glory of His plan of salvation. And that's what's being spoken of here. I'm I'm moving a little more quickly now. And it's a glorious plan. For you note again to unite all things in Him, that is, in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. This this work of redemption, uh, this work of salvation, it is particularly focused on you and me, that is, on sinners whom God has called to Himself. But it is a it is a universal salvation in the sense that it encompasses a whole new heavens and earth. He is going to finally make right what is wrong in this world through sin. He had created an upright world. He had created a perfect world. And sin was brought into the world through Adam. And all the creation has been affected. And what Paul is saying is that through Jesus Christ, the plan of salvation has been revealed so that all things will be made right in Jesus Christ. Everything that is wrong will be set right. Verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Peter, in First Peter, speaks again in some of the same language that Paul does here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he speaks of to an inheritance that is imperishable, that will not fade away. We, as the people of God, have received an inheritance. Again, because we are in Christ, what Christ gets, we receive. For instance, the Bible speaks of Christ's ruling. The Bible also speaks of Christ's people ruling as well. Christ has joy beyond all at the right hand of His Father. We will know pleasures forevermore, Psalm 16, at the right hand of the Father as well. And we could go on and on and see that what is Christ is ours, but again, it's being specified here. The inheritance... We get Christ has obtained an inheritance as the firstborn son, the only human to ever live a perfect, righteous, perfectly righteous life and to obey the Father perfectly. He has received the inheritance and we too, by virtue of union with uh, union to him, receive that same inheritance. It's everlasting life with God, 
without the taint of sin and without the possibility of falling from our state of being saved. And everything that comes along with it, things that we cannot even begin to comprehend and imagine about being with God forever. That inheritance is ours. And you note again, predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. This God who does as He pleases, this God who sits in the heaven and does all that He pleases, is the same God who has purposed that we would be predestined, that is, chosen again before the foundation of the world, picked out, as it were, marked out, that we would receive this inheritance. And let me ask you this question. If God has chosen you before the foundation of the world, if it's of His own free choice and that is what He has done, and God has sent His Son into the world to die for you, and Jesus Christ indeed died for you and has redeemed you, will He not also give to you the inheritance that He has promised? Will He complete the work that He begun? You better believe He will. And Paul is going to go on here in this next section and talk about that very thing as he begins to talk about the work of the Spirit in the believer. This is all according to His will. He will not lose one of His sheep. He will not let us go. And note there, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. There it is again. There is purpose in God saving sinners and it is so that He will receive all praise and glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, salvation comes from hearing, Romans chapter 10, and hearing the word of Christ. He designates here the word of truth as the gospel, that is the good news of your salvation and believed in Him. You heard that word, You heard that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. You heard that Jesus is a willing and able Savior. You understood that He's the only hope of your eternal salvation. And you said, oh, oh, Jesus, save me. Take away my sin. Remove from me the filth of a life of rebellion. Give to me the joy of your salvation. Make me a man who lives for your honor. That happened when you heard the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him. But also note there, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Uh, You were sealed. God put His mark on you as it were. You know, you used to, uh, with letters... Uh, they would they would pour wax on that letter and then with a signet ring or a seal would put it on there to say, this is mine, this is from so-and-so. And God, in the same sense, has sealed us for eternal, eternal salvation. He is mine. She is mine. And you know what guarantees that? It is the Spirit in us. We have been sealed by the Spirit. In other words, you cannot lose your salvation if you are truly one of Christ. That one is mine. He's been marked out from before the foundation of the earth. And note that it was a promised Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised His disciples that He would send the Spirit. The Spirit was promised in Ezekiel 36, promised as well in places in Isaiah. There was a day coming when God would pour out His Spirit. I think I preached on this a little bit last time I was here. Jesus promises that that Spirit is coming. And you remember in Acts chapter 1, we see that the the apostles are told to wait in Jerusalem until the gift of the Spirit is poured out from on high. And Christ, the risen Christ, who owns all authority, who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, gives to us, His people, the gift of the Spirit. At that moment, they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's because what God promises, He will perform. Who is also the guarantee, verse 14, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The guarantee, the down payment, the first deposit, if you will. In other words, the Holy Spirit in us is is like that down payment that guarantees that the work will be finished. If you possess the Holy Spirit, you will not then unpossess the Holy Spirit. If you have been saved, God will finish that work that He began 
in you. Isn't that comforting? It's wonderfully comforting that those who have, have, have repented of their sins and come to faith in Jesus and are truly His are always His. You say, well, what if there is no what if? If you are Christ, you are always Christ. You are the possession of God and He has given His Spirit as a guarantee that you will come to glory that you will arrive safely at home. That's good news. Because if it's up to you and me, we won't get there. We're foolish. Unrighteousness still courses through our spiritual veins, if you will. Uh, We would lose our salvation if we could. But God is guaranteed in the work of His Spirit that He will sanctify us, that He will keep us, that He will hold us. You know that song? Who will hold me fast? He will hold me fast. And that is wonderful because we cannot hold ourselves fast. The storm of life, the power of the evil one, the sin in our own hearts would leave us shipwrecked, as it were. The Holy Spirit is guaranteeing a grip so tight around that rope that we will not sink, but that we will arrive on the shores of glory, even if it's getting there, as it were, on a plank traveling through the turmoilist, I forget it, The sea that's doing this and that because of the winds and waves. We will get there safely. That's what Paul is saying. We will receive the inheritance. And you know, I go back to 1 Peter and Peter talks about that inheritance being undefiled. That that inheritance being reserved for us. Which is wonderful, right? I want a treasure. I mean, I already possess a treasure in Christ, right? But I'm ready to see the fullness of that treasure in glory. Kids, you like treasure? There's treasure beyond your wildest dreams in heaven. And not rubies and diamonds and coins and toys, but Jesus and all the sparkling beauty that He will offer without sin and heartache and difficulty. You think your mommy and daddy love you a lot? Oh man, the love of Jesus is 10 million times better than the love of mommy and daddy. He'll hold you tighter than mommy and daddy. I mean, mommy and daddy are holding you tight. They better be. They better be loving on you. But He, for all eternity, will put you in those, as it were, speaking of the Savior, those wonderful, sweet, comforting, loving arms and hold you there and you'll know more happiness than you've ever known. I mean, I'm telling you, when I have a popsicle, right? Who likes popsicle, kids? Come on. All right. Adults too, it's okay. It's fun, right? It tastes sweet. It's good. And I'm telling you, glory, that is heaven with Jesus, will be like 20 times better than that. I'm serious. The Word of God promises it. And a lot more better than 20 times. If we go much higher, you won't get what I'm saying. It's good stuff. Paul is saying that the Spirit is guaranteeing that we will get it. Again, this was probably much faster than I wanted to go, much slower than you wanted me to go. But this is something of what the triune God has done for us. He has called us before the foundation of the earth. He sent His Son to redeem us with His own precious blood. And He has given His Spirit in order that we will be with Him forever. And He is the the guarantee of that. It's all the work of a God who cannot change and a God who is unmatched, as we've heard, in glory and holiness. Those He saves, He will perfect in glory. Those He promised to give an inheritance to will receive it. But I want you to note that in this passage, it only comes to us through Jesus Christ. If you think that going to church all your life will get you an inheritance, it won't. If you think that being good 
all your life will get you an inheritance. It won't. If you think you can work hard enough to get this inheritance, you can't. But this inheritance is given freely to those who believe in Jesus. Who say, I'm bad. You're good. You're the Savior. I need you to forgive my sins and change my heart that I can live for you. It's for those. And Jesus didn't come to save the righteous, the good churchgoers, the good West Texas people, because West Texans are the best sort of people I know. But He came to save sinners. Are you a sinner in need of a Savior? If you are, Jesus is a willing and able Savior. And everything that has been spelled out, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, will be yours in Christ. Trust Him. And if you already are, rejoice in Him. And keep looking to Him. Because there's no other hope. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your precious Word that is sweeter to us than honey, that is more precious to us than jewels. Father, I pray that You would be very kind to those sitting in front of me. And where I have muddied your word, would you make it clear to them? And where I have not conveyed an accurate sense, would you make it clear to them? And Father, would you make Christ beautiful to all of us? He is beautiful. We want to see Him and love Him more. Would you help us to marvel at the work of the Spirit in our lives? guaranteeing that we will come to glory, guaranteeing that we will indeed receive, as it were, that final payment. It will all be ours. And Father, would you help us to marvel that though we are wretched, wicked, hell-bound sinners, you stepped in because of your great love with which you have loved us from eternity past, marking us out then, predestining us to adoption then, Thank you that we are a part of your family. Thank you that you are a father who never leaves us nor forsakes us. Thank you that you are a wonderful father who is so tender-hearted, dealing with us perfectly for our very good all the time. Father, we could go on and on in praise. We praise you. Help us every day to get our worship on, as it were, and to be people full of gratitude, to worship you for what you have done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.